Welcome to the audio podcast of the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and in our recently renovated sanctuary. During the summer months from July 4th weekend through Labor Day weekend, our worship will be live Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Let us pray. You, O God, keep making us brave. God, make us brave for life. Make us brave for the gospel and make us brave for this community of faith that you have great plans and high hopes for. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let's take a deep breath together. And I invite you throughout the sermon to place your hands anywhere on your body that needs support. Your neck might be tight. Your heart might feel heavy. Your head might be pounding. So keep breathing deeply. There's a lot of emotion in the room right now. So from the emails and the texts and cards and phone calls I've received, I imagine feelings today are mixed. And I apologize for not replying to all of your messages. I've been traveling. I've been taking care of my parents. I've been trying to get a little sleep and wrapping up lots and lots of loose ends. This is a a moment of big emotion for all of us, and I've chosen Paul's letter to the church at Rome for my final message to you because it is a church not unlike this one. So may you hear what is needed for this time. Paul was the persecutor of those who followed Jesus, and he had a radical conversion experience on the Damascus Road, as you know, and spent the rest of his life traveling around the ancient world telling people about the risen Christ. Paul formed his followers into new communities called churches, and occasionally, like today's reading, Paul would send a letter to a church to nurture their faith, to answer their questions, to bring a word of correction or encouragement. What is important to know about the Roman church is that it was diverse for its time, made of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. It's also important to hold in your awareness that the emperor Claudius expelled all the Jewish people from Rome for a period of about five years. And when they were allowed to return, the Jesus-following Jews found a church that was no longer Jewish. It was not Jewish in custom or in practice. The church had changed irreparably, not unlike this church. And folk were not happy. These changes created a lot of tension. The church was divided and in deep disagreement about how to follow Jesus and who should follow Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter in an effort to unify the church because Paul had a vision. 
He wanted this amazing, powerful, multi-ethnic community of faith to be the launch pad for the spread of the gospel. He believed the message of the good news of Jesus Christ could get as far as Spain, but he needed this church to get it together. So Paul's letter is a long explanation of the gospel as he understood it, as he understood the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So in this historical moment in our country and in our church, the church writ large has changed. This church has changed. But what has not changed, Paul records in the early pages of his letter, is that the nations and the people are trapped trapped in a spiral of sin and selfishness. Paul says that we find our ultimate significance in things we have created, things like education and wealth and buildings, rather than in God. But what has also not changed, Paul says, is that God is just and righteous, and that Jesus became what we are, human, so that we might become what he is, just and righteous. Because of what Jesus did with his life, death, and resurrection, we get a place in God's family, and we get a chance at a new future. Today and every day, church, whether I'm here or not, whether you're here or not, every day is the start of a new future. And what is that new future? We've been rescued and set free by the Lord Jesus Christ to be part of God's multi-ethnic family of faith. Paul's message to the church is a message about how to be God's family. So let's take a deep breath with that and let it settle into our bodies and spirits because family is a loaded word, amen? Amen, I just got back from visiting mine. And if you're watching, I love you, but. Is complicated. So Paul lifting up right relationship using the language of family is fraught. Family is challenging and beautiful, safe and unsafe, calm and stressful. But these images are used so often in this book that we love that have come to believe the writers knew exactly what they were doing in leaving us the emotionally charged labels of sisters and brothers, father and child. They had to know these labels would invite us to struggle with our own feelings about family, what has worked, what hasn't worked, and the places where we are all still hurting. So what is important to know about God's family is that we are faith-based. We welcome all the people, whether they believe or not, but we understand that we are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by hard work. We're not saved by how many times we've served on this session. We're not saved by our bank accounts. We're not saved by being elders or by the power of our prayers. We are saved by grace through faith alone, a faith in God beyond us big enough to save us. So when you trust that the resurrection is for you, Paul says, when you believe 
that the resurrection was for you, then you have a new status, a status that makes you right with God. Paul says you are part of the family, the covenant family of Abraham. And Paul says you have a new future. Every day, a chance at a transformed life. The question for you, church, is are you brave enough to be part of the family, the family that Paul describes? Are you willing to live in faithful obedience to God following the example of our big brother, Jesus? Will you accept your identity as Jesus-like humans? Because that is what God is calling the children to be, a big-hearted, welcoming, loving family of faith that loves God and loves neighbor. Are you brave enough? Paul is inviting the children of God, the family of God, the church, into a full and embodied new life despite our pattern of sin and in the midst of the truth of evil in the world. Why? How? Because we've got Jesus. Not because we've got a particular pastor. Jesus, who has taken on a body, tied his life to our lives. Jesus, who has set us free and given us life, a life that shakes us loose to live freely in these bodies. Now, the Greek word for body is soma, where we get the word somatic. And the Greek word for flesh is sarx. Isn't that a cool word? <laughs> sarx. Now, Paul's understanding of soma, the body, was very different from his understanding of sarx, the flesh. And in this eighth chapter of his letter, he declares that living for the flesh is living for all those things we created, bank accounts, buildings, power, all those things that keep us in bondage, keep us stuck, keep us in decay and death, keep us living out the same unhealthy patterns that families, organizations, and churches live out year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. And Paul says, stop it. He says, you have Jesus so that the children of God can live free in their somas, in their bodies. And Jesus came to rescue these bodies as part of God's plan, to rescue the entire creation, but not only to rescue, but to restore. And restoration is the new future that God's family is promised. Rescue and restoration were God's plan all along. It's a plan that started in the garden. You remember the garden? The Garden of Eden? The place where freedom abounded. The balance that was once ours at the start of creation in a garden. And the entire biblical witness, some scholars say, is God's attempt to get us back to the garden where freedom and wholeness and joy and balance exist. And the question for the family, the question for you, is are you brave enough to be part of the family? Are you brave enough to live like Jesus and to make your way back to the garden? Because the difficulty of what God and Jesus is asking us to do is that our sarks, our flesh, we just don't want to do it. We don't want to be brave. 
We don't want to be family. Not with those people, that person. We don't want to be church. We want to hang out here and enjoy the people and the music. We want to read every book but the Bible. We want to follow our own feelings and our own conscience and not the polity and the guidance of the church. But the encouragement of Paul's letter is this. You know Jesus. And that should make a difference. It makes us different from those who do not. Not better, but better able to navigate being part of the family. Better able to live out our call to love God and love neighbor. Because we know Jesus, the sarks, the flesh is put to death. We put to death fear and sin and mean-spiritedness and gossip as we call God our Father, our Mother, and as we recognize one another as members of the family, heirs and inheritors, along with our big brother Jesus, heirs of God's great gifts of wealth and love. So Paul says in chapter 8, it's hard now, but hang in there. God's up to something, and you ain't seen nothing yet. This moment of division and transition at church hurts now, and yet God is up to something stupendous and spectacular. Paul says it's going to be so good that the whole world, the whole creation is waiting to see what you the children of God, the family of God, what you are going to do. The creation is waiting on you. And Paul writes this, the, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. That's First Presbyterian Church. That's every church. That's you. For the creation waits in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. The creation is waiting on the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. The, the freedom that you are moving towards, that soma, that embodied freedom. And so Paul is counting on the church at Rome, and God is counting on this church and every church. The creation is aching. We hear it when George Floyd calls out for his mother. We hear it as 22 million people are about to face starvation in the Horn of Africa. We hear it as this city is still trying to come back to life and people can't afford rents. The creation is groaning, actually in pain, waiting for the children of God to take their place in the family of God. Now, I don't want to downplay my departure. I, I too, am feeling the heaviness of, of the shift from this place that I've told many of you I thought I would retire from. But we all have to understand our assignment. And our assignment is not bound to a place, but it's bound to God. It's bound to the God we serve. And our assignment is always freedom for God's family and for the creation. The church has been entrusted to us, not for ourselves, 
but for the freedom of our bodies and the bodies of the people outside the church. And this work, this work of being part of God's family is our assignment. And it is work for brave people, church. People brave enough to remind themselves daily that our call is a call to love God and love God's people. And so for weeks now, I've been jotting down some thoughts on what it means for a church to be brave. And that's what I'm going to leave you with today. So I want you to notice what dances in your spirit and take that thing and nurture that thing and be brave and do your part to set God's creation free. Churches and church folk don't need to be wildly brave, just brave enough. Brave enough to proclaim Jesus and to know that this is the church of Jesus Christ. Brave enough to produce kind people. Brave enough to change your seat. Yeah? Share the space you inhabit and call the space ours rather than mine. Honor all those who enter the building because Jesus loved the stranger. Be brave enough to treat the so-called outsider like they are the future, because they are. Churches and church folk don't have to be wildly brave, just brave enough. Brave enough to recognize that the most important people are the people who are not here. Be brave enough to have more fun, church. Brave enough to take these pews out of here. Open up this space to exciting possibilities. Remember you are a church alive, not a museum, not a, not a mausoleum for dead things and dead thinking. Be brave enough to spend some money. Be brave enough to pledge some money. And to start pledging if you don't already. Be brave enough to fulfill the pledges you've made this year and next year and in all the years to come. Make space for others to belong here and for others to lead. Be brave enough to notice that people will leave the church if all the signs say they were never welcomed here in the first place. Be brave enough, if you just got here, to say, I just got here, and yes, I belong. Be brave enough to stop. Stop ministry that isn't bearing fruit. Stop doing what you've always done simply because you've always done it. Stop rolling your eyes and sucking your teeth and listen. God's message may be coming to you through the mouth of someone you don't like, including the pastor. Amen. You need not be wildly brave, but be brave enough to stick around, even though you're scared and angry and confused and disappointed. Generate positive energy alongside and despite the negative energy and the naysayers. Be brave enough to name bad behavior and hold bad actors accountable. Don't put folk in leadership who don't believe in Jesus Christ. You cannot lead the church of Jesus Christ if you don't believe 
in Jesus Christ. Be brave enough to love. If we're following Jesus, God's love flows through us to the people we find hard to love. Be brave enough to pray for your enemies and those who have hurt you and those who may hurt you. This is the highest calling of those who follow Christ. Don't just tell the stories from this book we love. Be brave enough to be a part of them. Be brave enough, church, to not only see what the end will be here, but be brave enough to help it happen. May the whole creation, which has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, May our collective groaning ease because the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn is brave enough. Again, you may, there's no need to be wildly brave, just brave enough. Brave enough to hope for what you cannot yet see and brave enough to wait for it with patience together. To God be the glory. And may God bless you all as you go. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you are fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options, both in person and online, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time during the summer from July 4th weekend through Labor Day weekend. We are live in the sanctuary as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.